Oh, it's recording. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay, good morning. Shall we make a start? It's uh, nearly five past nine, so good morning, day four. I'm seeing lots of day four faces today. <laughs> we will be praising Jesus for all day. So, uh, welcome to Loud and Clear. This is a session that I would usually run. I, I do this material a lot, and I would usually do it in anything from two and a half to eight hours. And we're going to try and do it in an under, under an hour. And uh, so it's going to be, we're going to go fast today. So I hope that even though it's day four, even though it's nine in the morning, you're up for going fast. And what we're going to do is really, the only way that we can do this is do a bit of a whistle-stop tour. We're not going to have time to stop and, you know, browse at each point and take in the view and amble along. We're just going to have to go for it. We're just going to have to, you know, it's like in London you get these tour buses and you go around and you sort of see all the sights in you know, one crazy, you know, quick, there's Buckingham Palace, there's Tower of London, there's, you know, the House of Parliament. On we go, on we go. This is what it's going to be like for us this morning. So I hope that you're ready. Um, I'm going to be the one to bring the energy. You've just got to get your ears open and we will go for this. And um, what this is really is like how to begin, how do you prepare a talk? How do you prepare and deliver talks? I found over the years there's a lot of mystery around this. That a lot of us have been going to church, youth group for quite a few years now. But the mystery is how do people stand up and talk? Like one person said to me in our summer festivals last summer that they thought, they had always thought that it was just completely Holy Spirit inspired. That someone would just stand up there and so they knew that they were called to teach but they were absolutely petrified because they were like, do I literally have to stand up there unprepared? And the answer is a resounding no. But even then it's like, so what is the process? Now I'm, I can give you some insights into what it looks like for me and the people that I've trained and it's a very personal thing but what I want to do is give you a starting point if you've never given a talk before if you've done lots of talks before what I'm hoping is that I'm going to help you maybe identify some blind spots give you some new ideas and new uh, inspiration we can look how do you begin to build some of those um, yeah like the building structures of a talk how, how do you identify them how do you work on them but also want to make sure we've got enough time this morning to talk about body language and delivery and why that is such an important aspect of our communication and so how do you begin what is the starting point if uh, you've been asked to give a talk well the starting point will depend on your context in some churches um, and by the way most of what I'm saying today is going to be about delivering church-based talks youth group based talks talks that are based on and rooted in the Bible some of the skills are transferable and can work with presentations of a different nature but the starting point for us is going to be Bible based preaching and teaching and um, and so what is the starting point? It depends on your context. In some places you'll be given the passage or the topic. You might even be given an outline. And in other places you're given complete freedom. Speak on whatever you want. If you are given complete freedom, I would suggest the place to start in writing a talk is the things that God is already stirring in you. Um, because as God's people, like, we're all different, but we are all the same. That's the way that we are. The, the, the conditions of the human heart are fairly universal. And if you're reading stuff in God's word and it is speaking life and truth to you, chances are it will speak life and truth to God's people generally. So if you can, start with what is brewing in you. If you don't have that freedom, then the starting point is slightly different in that you've already been told this is what you want to do. Now, either way, whether you've got the complete freedom or someone is telling you it's this, there is a process that will enable you to begin to pick apart that initial thought or that initial thing that you've been told to speak on. And it's like when you're, um, you're trying to use this, a, a roll of sellotape, you want to get the end of it, and you know the end is there somewhere, but what you want to do is you like run your finger over, you're looking for the edge, you're looking for the edge. When you finally find the edge, you begin to pick, pick, pick away until eventually you can can draw it out and that's what we're going to try and do when writing a talk is we've got this starting point again whether it's something that has come to us or something that has been given to us we've got a starting point but we want to develop that starting point and um, one of the things I would say is a kind of like jump back a step is um, 
And when it comes to a, a calling to teach, we want to be people who come from the word with what to say, not going to the word for what to say. Now, that doesn't mean that, like I say, you, you might be told, well, you've got to speak on this passage, and then, of course, you're going to the Word. What I mean by that is a principal thing. We come from a life lived in the Word, and it's out of that richness, out of the things that God is showing us, speaking to us, stirring in us, that we bring that richness to our communication, and we bring that relationship with Jesus and His Word to our communication. But we're looking for the edge of this roll of sellotape. And this is some of what it looks like. And loads of you will already know this and be doing it. It looks like reading the Bible. So you've, you've found that verse that God's speaking to you about. You read it and you read it again. Read it in different translations. Um, for this, if you haven't discovered it already, Bible Gateway is just God's gift to us who are communicators. Um, what you do in Bible Gateway, you can either look up by a keyword or by a passage, and then you can very easily search by different translations. So I will always read my verse or passage. We use the NIV in the church that I'm a part of, but I will always read that same passage in the Amplified, in the Message, in the New Living Translation, usually in the RSV and the ESV if I have time, and depending on how long those, those things are. When you're doing this, imagine this, that this process that I'm about to take us on, that I've already started, you're, you're not um, at this point trying to write a talk or prepare a talk. Think of yourself as a Bible detective. And there, there are things that you want to discover about God's word. And the only way you can do that is to follow leads. And you don't know yet where those leads are going to take you. That's what being a detective is. You don't already know the end from the beginning. But you're going to follow the leads and see what is... A, a, a one, following one lead is going to lead you to another lead, which is going to lead you to another lead. And then you'll come to some dead ends where it's like, no, nah, I'm done. And I can move on to another one, okay? So you're reading the, the passage in different different translations and at this point write down now when I say write it might not be right it might be chuck it in an iPad it might be like think of it you know but but I'm going to say write that's how I do it for lots of us that's how we'll do it in one way shape or form write down anything that comes to mind any word that you particularly like or any oh haven't I seen that somewhere else in the bible or anything at all that comes to mind jot it down any questions that it brings up in you like what does that mean that's a bit of an odd sentence or that's a bit un un unsure anything that comes to mind you're going to write it down because those things are going to be leads that you're going to follow so you're going to read it in different passage, uh, different translations. You're going to read what happens before and what happens after. So you're going to set that verse in its home, or that passage in its home, or that story in its home. So last night I spoke on that passage in Luke 12, the Do Not Worry, and I didn't just I, I taught I read specifically those three verses. I think 29, 32, four verses. But I also talked about this is where it sits. It sits in a bigger set of teaching about worry. And, um, and so sometimes as you kind of you, you go out, you're getting a bigger uh, context for what this verse is saying by understanding what's happened before and after. So sometimes that'll be about the teaching. So in the New Testament letters, you're saying, you know, why is Paul or whoever, why are they addressing this? Let's look at the verses either side. But also sometimes it can help to go back a step further. What's the whole letter trying to achieve? Or when you're reading the gospel, we've got four gospel accounts are often telling the same stories, but each of the gospel writers had a particular mission in mind when they wrote their gospel. So understanding the fact that in John, everything that John is saying, he's saying, this is God. Jesus is God. That's like the thing that the message throughout his, his gospel is, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That's why he starts right with, the, in the beginning, you know, he you know, was the word, and the word was, he's going straight in with the dramatic. Luke is wanting to tell, tell you that Jesus loved the outsider. And so have that in mind when you're reading Luke and you're going, oh my gosh, there he is talking about women again when no one did at that time. There he is talking about the poor. So Luke's gospel is the, the only one that tells the birth of Jesus through Mary's perspective because Luke loved women. Like Luke, not that he loved women for the sake of it, but he loved that Jesus was ushering a new era where there is neither male or female because all is one in Christ Jesus. Those of you that are in my Women in Leadership talk the other day. So having a step back and going, what is the writer? What's the bigger picture going on here? Now, you might need help. We often need help to understand the bigger picture, not just of where the verse sat within the picture of the Bible, but what was going on at the time that that verse was written. 
And to dig into those things, you're going to want a commentary. Um, so you can get loads of tools online now, but I like to use a hard, uh, a hard back, a hard, what's that called? A paper version of a commentary in that lots of the ones online that are for free, they can be quite hard going, they can be quite dated. That's one of the reasons why they're free is someone's gone, I'm not getting any royalties from this anymore, here, have it for free. Um, I love my new Bible commentary, um, yeah, new Bible commentary. Um, but just understanding a little, you get those little cultural insights, you get those little, this is what was going on then from people who have spent years studying it. Um, another thing that I love is, um, what is it? Oh yeah, even like your, your study Bible. So for those of you who've got the NIV study Bible, that's not a bad place to start with the page that, um, that first of all, you know, on the NIV study Bible, you've got a whole page that tells you a little bit about who wrote this book, why they wrote the book, what were they trying to achieve, who was their audience, what was going on historically. And then you've also got little insights on every page that can be really useful. And if nothing else, read that. Um, I like to think about, um, I've said different translations before and after the passage, different Gospels. Oh yeah, Old Testament and New Testament. This can be an interesting one. If you're reading a story um, and the passage you want to speak on happened in the Old Testament, it's worth checking, does the New Testament have anything to say or shed light on this same story or on this character? Because sometimes what is revealed in the New Testament tells us way more than we could have known from the Old Testament. So an example of that is in Hebrews 11, where you've got the faith hall of fame where it talks about by faith Abraham, by faith Moses and so on and so forth, it sheds a light that we don't get to see in the original. So I'll give you an example of that. In uh, Hebrews 11 it's talking about Moses and it says this line, I love this line, by faith Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, the insight that that gives us is one we couldn't have seen when we're reading about the story of Moses in the book of Exodus. We do not see this moment or this process where Moses refused this identity that even though he'd grown up within the palace, he said, that is not how I will be known. That is not how I'm going to do this for God's people. But Hebrews, which is the word of God too, and is, is God-breathed and is eternal, says this is the truth. Moses made a decision. He made a decision that his identity would not be in uh, the palace upbringing. And I love that insight. So when I read that, so when I was writing a talk on Moses and leadership, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to check. Does the New Testament, what does it have to say? For me, that began to speak into. So remember I was talking to you about being a detective. When I read the passage in Hebrews, what that um, fired in me was that as God's leaders, there has to be the choice, the decision, that we will not be known by any other label any other identity other than the, the, the name that God has for us, the calling that God has for us, what is he calling us to? That We have to refuse. Interestingly, it says also in the Hebrew, uh, no, 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 it doesn't say in Hebrews. There's a similar thing that um, at the same time made me laugh. You know when you read your Bible and it's all divided up into your passages and you know, you've got those line breaks and those um, you, you Bible chapters and verses, which didn't exist at the beginning. They weren't, you know, when the Bible was written, it was written on a scroll and several, several, several scrolls and then at some point they thought this is not very sensible to say, um, okay, open your scroll somewhere about, you know, one millionth of a way in. Oh, you know, they had to give us these delineations so that we could find our way around the Bible. Sometimes that means, often that means we read the Bible with these false breaks. Um, another one referring back to the women in leadership uh, seminar was in Galatians, uh, Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then we don't bother reading that bit when we read the next verse where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. We just open it at that word, submit to your husbands. Okay, we should do that. And we don't actually go back a step and go, hey, everybody, as Christians, submit to one another. Regardless of gender and marital status, submit to one another. We just go in with why. And by the way, wives, submit to your husband. That word submit wasn't there. It was added in because of the break. It just says, wives, to your husbands. So everyone submit to one another. And by the way, Wives, it looks like this. Husbands, it looks like this. Children, it looks like this. Slaves, it looks like this. But all of us, it's one of, I get quite passionate about these things. <laughs> anyway, so we've got these line breaks. All right, the story of Noah, you read it in Genesis, 
And you've got um, this crazy story. I mean, it's a crazy story. But go back a bit. Before uh, Genesis 6, when uh, Noah is given all the instructions about the ark, you've got the bit where he was born. And it made me laugh out loud. When I was actually listening to my Bible one day on a run. There's so many smug things in that sentence. I don't know what you're going to do with it. But anyway, I was listening to my Bible on a run. And I heard this, that um, Noah's dad, whatever his name was, said um, he had a son, called him Noah, for he will be a comfort to God's people. I mean, if ever there was anyone that ever lived who wasn't a comfort, it was Noah. There was nothing comforting about a guy that's like, I'm building a boat because you're all going to die. <laughs> and what I thought about this is, okay, so Noah, right from, right from day one, he's been told, comfort, 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 comfort. And God comes in and says, no, not comfort. I've given you one of the hardest things that I've ever asked anyone to do and will ever ask anyone to do in the whole of history. Not comfort. What does it take to follow God's call on... I'm preaching a different thing. What I mean to say is I'm just about to start preaching on no and I mustn't, or identity and I mustn't, and calling and I mustn't. This is what happens when we read the word of God, though. This is what happens when we give it time, when we step back and we have a little look at what's going on either side. It's all there. You can find these things because they're in the word of God and you're going to find them. And you're going to bring them to God's people and they're going to fall in love more with God's word and with him as a result of you spending time reading it and following these detective leads. So you're going to look at Old Testament and New Testament. You're going to look at different gospels. You're, you're going to be looking for things like you read a word... And you think, I don't really know what that means. And your temptation will be to go to a dictionary. <laughs> but can I encourage you? Okay, that might be part of it, but I'm not that interested in what the, in England, the Oxford Dictionary definition would be. I want to know, what does God say about that word? So I love my Bible dictionary. I love it so much that I actually stole it from a friend about 15 years ago. I never gave it back. I finally uh, confess that that's what I've done, and he's bought another one in the meantime. But um, a Bible dictionary is a great place. So if you're speaking on the breath of God, and it could well be that you've been in church long enough to think, I think I've heard a sermon about breath entering dry bones. I think I remember that God breathed on Adam when he created him. I think I remember that Jesus breathed on the disciples. You know, it might be that you've, you've been around church long enough and you've read your Bible long enough that that happens for you on your own. But more likely the case is you'll need a resource that will help you be a detective. And so you're reading this passage, let's say you're reading in John this moment where the resurrected Jesus breathes on his disciples and you think, breath. Hold on, that is weird. That is a weird thing to do to people. I don't walk into a room and breathe on people, not intentionally. You don't do that. So what was Jesus doing? So you get out your Bible dictionary and you look up the word breath. And you begin to see this word and how it's recurring through the Bible and what it looked like in the Old Testament and what it looks like in the New Testament. And, and the, the stu don't think, oh my gosh, she, this is an academic process. She's telling me I've got to do this. Think of it as you're a Bible detective and all of these things God has lovingly hidden in his word and he's waiting for you to find it. And he's waiting for you to find it and then bring it to God's people and bring life and light and enjoyment of his word to them. And by the way, that's contagious. Spiritually, he's made that, I believe, contagious. That when you hear this stuff, you're like, give me more, give me more. There's an addictive thing that is a good thing, better than our coffee addiction, that we go, I want more of that. So you want to follow those detective leads and you're writing down anything, you're noting anything and you're beginning to, um, you're beginning to pursue lines of inquiry that are getting more and more convincing. So there are other things that have just kind of now dropped to the wayside. You thought initially I found that quite interesting but now not so much. So I'll give you an example of that. Uh, that again, that line I spoke on last night, um, do not be afraid little flock. Uh, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, one of the detective things for me was this whole thing about flock, because the sheep analogy, the sheep-shepherd analogy, is right throughout the Bible. And I, and I was thinking, I'm quite interested to see, was there any reason why Jesus used the analogy there of flock? <laughs> And so I began to do a bit of Bible detective stuff around that. And I realised actually that that wasn't the point, as in it wasn't a major point that he was making there. The major thing in that was the tenderness. 
this little this expression, little flock, it's like little little ones, darlings, you know. There was a, the tenderness was there. So it was that detective lead that I then followed and I laid the sheep one to bed. It came to a dead end and that was fine. I didn't need that anymore. And so what you'll do is on the one hand you're exploding with ideas, but actually a bit like any explosion, you've got the big explosion and then it kind of down again and this is what you're doing when you're doing your bible detective initially it might feel massive like where am i going to find the thing i actually want to preach on but as you do it you begin to go it's that it's that and as you do that allow that to speak to you um how do i want to say that yeah what it is is you're looking for the bit where you begin to go this is it this is the stuff i want to preach on this is the stuff that and there's the stuff that you could just ramble on about for 20 minutes because you've done all this detective work and so you could let them know that in first century AD it looked like this and they found a rock there and I, you know, you could give them every bit of research that you've done in this detective process but it will kill it. It will be great for you, enjoy it, but it will kill it if you tell people everything. So instead learn to identify what now, begin to get to the point where you say, well what do I actually want to bring? And the way I would encourage you to do that is to think about what is my, what's the one direction that I want to take people on in this talk. I could give them everything, but it's not going to help people. There's not going to be a clarity. Clarity is really important in the talks that we give. And I'd say it's one of the major stumbling blocks that people often need help getting over. And so what, the way that you can be sure that your talk will be clear is if you can decide this is the one direction that we're going to be pointing for this whole talk. So I'm going to bring different facets, different things to life. But the one thing I want to say is the spirit-led life is a life of power. The spirit-led life is the one where we uh, get to be able to know, really know, that God is Father. This is the one direction we're going to be going in. We're going to say different things within that, but always coming back to this one thing. And identifying that one thing is really important. It's really important to go, therefore, you're in, you're, the, you're part of the one thing, you're in the club, you're out. This little bit about sheep, don't need it, we're going to get rid of it. Your talk will be strengthened as much by what you leave out of your talk as what you include. And it will never be wasted, because like I said, it's fed you, it's strengthened you, that research process has, has added welly to your talk, and it's always good to be spending time in the Bible anyway. You might even use it for another talk, but be disciplined and leave it out of this talk. If it doesn't serve your one thing, leave it out. Now, identifying that one thing can be tricky, but I'd encourage you, look for the place, like I've already said, where you come alive, where you think, this is the bit I want to preach. And I found that when I uh, talk to people, if I go through their talk preparation with them, and so they're not yet at the point when they're finished, but they're still preparing, and then they come to me for a bit of input, what I've often found, that's helpful, <laughs> what I've often found is that they can kind of go through the motions, go through the motions, tell me this, tell me that. And then they come to this point where they just, it's like notes are down, they're making eye contact with me, and they begin preaching. And when that happens, I'm like, forget everything else. I want to hear half an hour on that. Don't, and take everything else you've just said and push it into your <laughs> intro, but preach on the bit where you come alive. Because if you come alive, other people will. If it's got life for you, it will have life for other people. And actually, as we're going to see in a minute, because delivery is so important, the stuff that brings you to life, you're going to give it some welly in a way that you won't with the other stuff. So put, put your money where your mouth is. Put your energy around that thing. Build that. Make that the core. Make that the one direction. And then you just look at your notes and say, well, anything that doesn't fit, I mean, you could, it depends on how you work. You could colour code it. So you could say, everything to do with um, your father is pleased, we're going to give that a red. Everything to do with pleased, this, this bigness, this tenderness, this kindness, this goodness of God the Father, you have a red. So their little flock, you have a red, and pleased has a red, and give you everything has a red, but sheep, not so much, so we're going to give you a green. You know, if that works for you, if colour coding works for you, but if not, you just begin to identify. I tend to work on a piece of, lots of pieces of A4 paper, and I just write things randomly. I don't work linearly at this stage, I'm just shoving bits of, 
whatever. And then, so then for me, I just put a circle. You're in, you're in, you're in. I scribble you out, you're out. Don't want you anymore. So try and put your, your focus in one direction and, and leave anything else out. Look for the unifying thread. What are the things on your piece of paper that naturally belong in the same family? And get rid of anything else. If you do that, if you make that hard decision to leave stuff out, your talk will be stronger for it. Okay, are we, you with me so far? We're going at quite a pace, but there's a couple of other questions that you might find helpful to ask yourself. I mean, there's loads more uh, that we could do on this. And just to say that if you're interested in this subject, if this is something you want to do a bit more work with, uh, on the Soul Survivor UK YouTube channel, um, there's all my teaching on this, broken down into like hour-long segments or 45-minute-long segments. So you can spend a lot longer on each one of those things. Or I've written a book, I actually don't know if it's available uh, in Australia, but called Get It Across Loud and Clear. Hate the title, hate the, sub the um, book cover, but I think it might be useful for some of you. So check it out and see if you can get that. But um, a couple of other questions that might be useful for you to think through is to ask yourself, what do I want my audience to know? What do I want my audience to hear? And what do I want my audience to do? And they sound like they overlap and they do. What do I want my audience to know? Now, beginning to identify that, and again, just for ease, I'm going to just look at my talk last night. What do I want you to know? I wanted you to know that God loves you. That is probably kind of obvious, that he's a good father, that he loves you. What do I want you to hear? This is an interesting thing to see if I did my own work here. <laughs> what do I want you to hear? I think I wanted you to hear that there is a, um, there's the lies. I think I wanted you to hear that we all miss this. To kind of get past that hump of going, you know that whole thing I was saying about, yeah, 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 we know that he loves you. I think I wanted you to hear, you think you know it, but you don't. I wanted you to know that he loves you. I wanted you to hear you think you know it, but you don't. And what do I want you to do? Okay, this is an interesting one. We should always think through the application, the what now, the so what of any talk. Why does this matter and how do we live differently in the light of this? So I wouldn't say last night was strong on what we call application, except to know that freedom is available for all of us and that it's by the Holy Spirit. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal this to us, that when we're reading the Bible, that he would show us when we're listening to the wrong soundtrack. And so other talks will have a much stronger, okay, so in the light of all this, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try this this week. We're going to pray about this this week. We're going to go and do this. Some talks will be much stronger on that. But I think regardless, you should always think through the, um, what I want them to hear, know, and do. Okay, put it in a non-preaching context. We had a gathering at home a couple of weeks ago uh, for our small group leaders. Uh, we call them connect groups. And so I was helping the team that were putting that evening on. They were going to do a little bit of presentation. And so I was talking to them about those three questions. What do you want them to hear? What do you want them to know? What do you want them to do? And so together we identified this. What we wanted them to hear is, and they would have heard it before, we wanted them to hear small groups is where family happens. In a church, that our church is pretty big at home, about a thousand people, we want to say that in a, in a big church, small groups is where family happens. That's what we wanted them to hear. What we wanted them to know is you guys are the one making a difference. Your role as small group leaders, you are making that happen. What did we want them to do? This was a funny one. We wanted them to start registering attendance in their church apps. <laughs> and that might sound really like, seriously, admin. But we were saying to them, when you do that, we get a much better picture of who's in a small group and who isn't, which helps us know how far we've got to go in building this community. And so we said, yes, there's an annoying practical thing we want you to do. But that thing that we want you to do, it comes back to this. Small groups is where it happens. So thinking through those three questions then meant that everything they said that night, whether they were thanking them, whether they were telling stories, <laughs> everything was streamed in that direction. This whole, everything was about, this is where community happens. So they told stories about community being built, about people being tucked in and looked after in their small groups. They told stories about how those things are making a difference. And then, yes, we had the practical, hey guys, can we just say again, please be registering your attendance. And so thinking through what do you want them to know, what do you want them to hear, what do you want them to do, will uh, really uh, help build the clarity in your talk and help you really think through uh, yeah, what you want them to know, hear and do. Okay, and then you want to begin to bring these elements together. I mean, this is crazy, like, skimming the surface stuff. 
but you've got all of your thoughts, you've done your Bible detective, you've got some key things that you want to communicate, that alone won't be a talk. What you're going to have to do is give it a beginning and an end. Beginnings are important because they're the place where you say to people, come on, let's go on a journey together. Um, back last week in Melbourne, we were staying with my husband's family and uh, his dad had really kindly lent us a car for while we were in Melbourne and this car was quite big, bigger than we have at home, it was a people carrier and we, we labelled this the fun bus and so whenever we would go, because we had spare seats, it would be like all the cousins would pile into the fun bus and off we would go on our next adventure, get in the fun bus, we're off, we're going to go and get fish and chips again, you know we're off for the fun bus and your introduction is where you say, hey guys get on the fun bus we're going on a journey. You've prepared the journey. That's what all of that stuff is about. But it's no good if no one is in the fun bus with you. So you want to get them on the fun bus. So part of that will be about how you look and sound, that you look ready, you, you look relaxed, you look like you want to be there. But also, it's in your introduction. It's whether, And you can start your talks in all kinds of different ways. You know, you can start very factually. This morning, we're going to be talking about prayer. Why is prayer sometimes so hard and how can we press in and, and, and enjoy prayer more? You know, you could say something as simple and as directive as that. I often, but not always, start with a story. I find that that relaxes me, it helps me build community, it helps me build connection with my audience, particularly if they don't know me. And as I tell this story that may or, not, may or may not be amusing, they begin to get an idea of where we're going. So it wasn't a story, but on the first no. second night when I spoke, I talked about the fact that I've been to Australia lots of times, there's lots of bits I haven't seen, but there's bit, lots of bits that I love. <laughs> and it was from that that I began to say, well, as we look at the spirit-led life, we can't paint the whole picture, we can't visit everything of that, we're just going to share some. And so, but in the meantime, being able to talk about Australia and how much I love it, that builds community, that's intentional. You don't know me, you didn't know me two days ago, but I want to invite you on the fun bus. And so by kind of putting some, you know, painting this picture, having a bit of fun, talking about the country that you hopefully love as well, you know, that begins to build relationship and that matters. Building relationship with your audience matters because then they're going to get on the fun bus and they're going to come with you. So you want to think about your introduction. You want to think about your end. And the ending of a talk is the bit that traditionally people just um, miss, fail to think through because they've spent so much time thinking about the body of their talk that they haven't thought, at the end of this, I've actually got to stop talking. <laughs> and so then what people tend to do is they either just stop talking really abruptly or they don't stop talking. They just keep going and keep going until some amazing inspirational sentence comes into their mind. And I'd encourage you just to think that through in advance. What do you want to leave people with? And as part of that is a process, what my boss at home calls coming into land, and he usually lies, because he's usually not coming into land, but he says he's coming into land. But the process of coming into land is a good one, because, you know, I've flown a lot in these last couple of weeks, the plane does not just drop out of the sky. That's not called coming into land, that's called dying. So what instead, there's a preparation process where the, air, where the cabin is prepared to land, and where the plane begins to make a descent. And you want to think that through in your talk. So I would say, when you come to the end of your talk, don't introduce any new material. You're not looking to put new ideas out there. You're looking to bring these ones to, to land. So you're looking to slow down in your delivery, maybe even uh, be a slightly quieter in your delivery. You're looking to summarise. You could do that um, using the language, you know, so I didn't do this last night, but I could have said Jesus came to show us, show us the Father, to put a face to grace. He came to show us what it's like to live in the love of the Father, and he came to invite us into the love of the Father. So you literally summarise your three points, or however many points that are all facing in one direction, remember? No multi-directional talks, please. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, and uh, but you, So you can summarise, you can use the same language, you can use new language, but in any case, you're putting it to bed. You're not bringing any new ideas to life. One of the most important things, so we talk about beginning, end, you've got all your Bible detective stuff where you've got maybe your main passage that's going to be the one that you keep coming back to, but you've got other examples of where God acted like this in the Bible or he spoke on this or another insight, you know, like we've already said, you've got the breath of God in John, you've got the breath of God in Ezekiel, you've got the breath of God in Genesis, so you might have all these different insights, but within that, something that is going to be so so important and just because it doesn't sound as spiritual do not uh, believe that it is not important and that is storytelling 
using illustrations. Illustrations should be woven throughout everything that you say. It's like this. It's like that. It's your painting stories. Jesus was a genius at this. It's like a man who had a son. It's like a woman who lost a coin. It's like, it's like you know, see the fields, they're white, they're ready for harvest. He's using things that people understand, the language that was normal to them so that people could get it. So that when they go, oh my gosh, a son did that? A son asked his father for his inheritance now. They're in it. They're connecting with his material. And you will find it hard to re uh, read and listen to the teachings of Jesus without seeing that it's like. And I believe that it was always meant to be that way. I mean, the comedians that you probably love the most are the ones that make you laugh about the things that you already do. There's a guy in England, I don't know if he's made out here, a guy called Michael McIntyre. Yeah? And, and he's hilarious talking about normal things. And if someone who isn't a comedian tried to do his material, it would just be really dull. It would still be true. Like one of the things he talks about is that every, every house has this drawer of junk. And it's like, where does that live? It lives in the second drawer of the kitchen. You know? and, and if I say, it's like, oh, yeah, I do, I have that. When he says, you're like, oh my gosh, I have that drawer, I have that drawer. And he's hilarious. But what he's doing is you, you're identifying with him. You're in that moment with him. And your stories will help people get it. In fact, your stories will help people get it in a way that nothing else will. That's when you'll see light bulbs coming on. And it might be the fun stories. It might be the light-hearted things. So people remember, Spirit of Life, it's like, I can't explain Australia, but I can just give you some insights. That hopefully helps people understand where I'm going. You can have the ones, okay, so we had the thong, the lost in translation, those kind of things. The people will go, oh yeah, or the Darth Vader theme tune. I'm constantly trying to make sure that nearly everything I say has got an illustration to help us all go, yes, I do that. I do think that way. That's why we want to do it. It's not to entertain, it's to help light bulbs come on. It's often in the storytelling. So I think a couple of days ago I told a story of a guy that came to our festivals, really angry, smashed up um, knuckles and everything. You know what happens is when we tell real stories, people go, oh gosh, yeah. I see that now. I see that it's his presence that makes a difference. I see and I begin to believe in a new way that in his presence things can change. So you might want to tell the genuine, real stories of faith that help build faith, that help us, you know, so you're talking about God as a provider and you talk about a time that you've seen him provide. I mean, by the way, the Bible is full of illustrations for a start. So you can tell the stories from the Bible where God has provided and you tell the stories from your own life or the life of other people where he has. There's the factual ones that people go, oh, right, yeah, it's not just theory. It actually happens then and now. And then also the it's like illustrations. Don't skip that bit. Work hard on it. I try when I'm writing a talk, make sure I have an illustration for everything that I'm driving home. Illustration, illustration. And as a team back home, we challenge each other on that stuff. Where are your illustrations? You need more. You need more in that talk. Because we see that it's then that people get it. Okay, how long have we got left? Not long, so I'm just going to really quickly whiz through in, I think I'm going to say five minutes. Body language and delivery. Let me just have a quick drink. You know, when it comes to the word of God, we're delivering material that matters. And so naturally we think about the words that we're preparing, the detective leads, the things that we're finding in the Bible. But actually, and that is important, but most of our communication and different people say up to somewhere between 80 to 90% of the message that you've received from me this morning has not been the words that I've prepared for you, but the way that I've delivered them. The way that I use my voice and the way that I use my body. And so you can't afford to not think about those things because otherwise you'll work hard on your material and people just won't get the message. And if you're not convinced of that, think about a time where you've been listening to a talk and you've tried to connect in but someone's just stood in front of you and they talked a bit like this and, and I think and this is really amazing that when I see in the Bible God did this. And it, I, I, it could be the best material in the world, but you're like, I'm done, I'm done. I mean, that's, na that's natural, that's normal, but you can help them with that. So, body language, let me just say this really qu quickly. Stand in front of your audience. Um, make sure you can see them. It's really important that you can give eye contact to them. Eye contact gives a credibility to your message that should be there. We're speaking from the Bible. But eye contact reinforces that, and it helps your audience to stay connected to you. 
um, making sure you can see them might mean depending on the building that you need to move. So feel free to move, um, and not only feel free to move, but you might need to challenge yourself to move. So, for example, in the round, if I just stood like this yesterday, then three quarters of the room would have just not seen my face. Then I can't do the eye contact thing. So there is no choice but to move. And in different buildings, the, the need for that uh, yeah, would vary. Feel free to move, just be aware of constant movement. Constant movement can cause your audience to feel agitated and a lack of rest. So what you want to do is, yeah, feel free to move, but make sure that your norm is to plant yourself, that you come to a place of rest. And that's not just with your feet. So my, everyone's got, when it comes to body language and delivery, everyone's got their weirdness, just so you know that. Every single one of us has got something they need to work on. My body language is, I, uh, my hands, they do this. And I, I know it, and I would like to lessen it, and I'm still working on that. And now that I've said it, that's all I'm doing. Like, put your hands down. But actually, if I can give you the gift of rest, I can, if I hold myself still and calm, you receive that in my teaching. And so what can happen is when you get up to speak, you feel nervous, and even though you don't, you're not necessarily even aware that you feel nervous, that has to come out. Adrenaline has to come out, and so that creates movement. And so basically, you end up pacing, and if I paced in front of you this whole time, you begin to feel this is really not that restful. So just be aware of that. And be aware too, like I say, that we all have our weird thing. And the best way that you can identify your weird thing is either to have yourself videoed or have a friend that can tell you. And so we back home, we have, um, particularly the, the three of us that lead and speak at our festivals together, we have um, really chosen and we cherish a culture of feedback. And to the two people that I work with the most, they're some of the best communicators in, in, in the world. And yet I still critique their talks. And they still invite that. And that's one of the reasons why they're so good. is because they, they're constantly honing that skill. And, um, and so I'll say, what's this with the twitchy legs? Stop it. You know, we're not even that kind to each other anymore. <laughs> you know, why, why are you doing that? Or one of them used to like, kind of like hold on to them. I'd be like, just chill out, you know? And so we're trying to do that for one another in our, in our delivery. And you can invite someone else to do that. I want to say, cult, uh, develop a culture where feedback is normal. Whether you're here leading a youth group or you're in a youth group um, and you're beginning to do this, make it normal from the get-go. And I know, so if you're a youth leader in this in here in a minute, just put your ears in a minute, I know that youth leaders are not always very good at this. I know that. <laughs> and it's part, maybe it's different because in England we, just, we struggle a bit with the whole honesty thing. Um, one of the things I love about Australians, I'm going to summarise your whole nation with two words. Kind and blunt. <laughs> Put it together and it works. <laughs> Whereas England, we're a bit more like kind and fake. I prefer kind and blunt. So, um, so just say, hey, thanks so much for asking me to give this talk on Friday. Please, would you give me feedback? You can be, you can be honest with me. Whoever you ask, it doesn't have to be the greatest Bible scholar that you've ever met. Just look for somebody who loves Jesus, who loves his word. And two things, and it should be easy because you live in Australia. Look for someone who's both kind and honest. If you've just asked someone who's kind, they'll just, um, there's an Australian phrase that I better not use. Um, can you say this? Well, sorry, I'll say it now. It, my, my husband's Australian and we have a lot of like, as he's, he's been in England now 11 years and over the years I've had a lot of, you can't say that in England, but one of the expressions that he said early on when I first knew him was he would say, oh, you did so well with that and I'm not just pissing in your pocket. <gasps> I know, it's shocking. <laughs> I do not understand what, why that would be a phrase <laughs> at all, because I'm like, clearly no one would, but what you, if you are someone that's just kind, that happens. They're just telling you nice things. You don't want someone who's just kind, okay? But you don't want someone who is just blunt either, because it will crush you. Find someone who's both kind and honest and ask them for both. Say, so tell me the stuff I did well, but tell me the stuff that I could really be working on. And that's in your material, in your delivery, in your body language. Okay, so the last little bit then, delivery. Delivery, so important. I'm going to say it with three things. Pitch, pace, volume. Pitch is about whether you're high in your register or 
low in your register. And, uh, and uh, your pace is about whether you're speaking really fast, which is what I tend to do, but also about uh, speaking more slowly, and others are more prone to a slightly more taking their time kind of style. And then volume is whether you're like, and Jesus, he just loves you, church, you know, or whether you're like, today and what I want to say when it comes to pitch pace and volume regardless of your own natural delivery is what you're looking for is a variety of all three that in your talk you're not just looking to switch into cruise control and stay there but you're using the devices of pitch pace and volume to aid your communication so naturally when we're excited we might speak higher in our register this is good news I'm happy about this there might be other times where we are slightly further down in our register um, pace, again, there's a sense that some of the things you're saying, they should be quite pacey. Now, I know I speak a bit too fast, I do know that, but I want to say that generally when you're speaking, your pace should be quite pacey. If you're too laboured, <coughs> people will begin to finish your sentences for you, and it will drive them mad. Okay, so what you want to do is instead is use that slowing down device for when you really want to create space around your words so that people get it. So you might be like, telling story, telling story, and this is really fun, and Australia is like this, and I love Australia so much, I love the Barrier Reef, and I love you know, the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge, and it's like this when we're talking about a spirit-led life. You know, so I know that's exaggerated, but do you see what I'm doing? So it's like most of the time you can, you can keep a pace because we're talking, sometimes I want to allow space around my words so that you really get what I'm saying. And same with volume. On the one hand, you want to do enough, you want to go and get them with your voice. You want to make sure that you're serving your audience by sending your message to them. Don't make them work for it. You're sending your message to them. But also, by using a variety of volumes, you can create intimacy, gentleness around certain things but also sometimes there's an authority that it's right that we take that we serve people by saying this is truth he loves you he's for you and i want to say with all of these things with body language and delivery we're all different so we all naturally have a different communication style here's what i would say don't just say but this is how i am I am a fairly monotone person, or I do tend to speak mumbling under my breath, or, you know, I know you wouldn't, but, but instead decide to be the you that God's created you to be, so when you're speaking, it should feel like it's you speaking and not a speaker speaking, choose to be you, but about 5% more, not 10%, okay, there's no research in my stats, I make this up, but what I mean is, is 10, you plus 10% would just be a bit too much, and would make people go, this is a bit fake, this is a bit weird. But you plus about 5% helps people receive your message. And you might need to play around with that. Spend time in your room speaking out your message. I haven't even got time to talk about why it is so, so important that particularly when you're intensively <laughs> learning this stuff, you rehearse your messages. So important for a million and one reasons. It gets the message in you. It helps you know that you're not going to run over time. But also it gives you this opportunity to play with your delivery and find your delivery style. If you've ever um, listened to this guy uh, called Tim Ross, he's a black Pentecostal <laughs> preacher from America, but I know that he's done quite a lot in Australia, and that's where we discovered him. He's a hilarious Bible communicator, and he does crazy things with his voice. And he discovered that by doing it. I, mean, he, I spoke to him last... He's been preaching for years. He was at our festivals last summer, and I was talking to him about his delivery, and he said he really only discovered that in the last few years by playing around with it, by, by, by enjoying practicing his communication. Find your communication style. I don't know if it's the same here as it is back home, but what I've noticed over the years back home is that increasingly we, by which I mean the entire nation of England, we really value charismatic communicators and that is in the church as much as it is outside and I, on the one hand I don't have a problem with that where I do have a problem with that is if that's all we value if all we're getting is charisma if all we're getting is the gift of the gab go and be a stand-up comic but we want to have people that can ably communicate the word of God with passion 
And so I've seen over the years that there's the natural communicators who right from the get-go at school, they've been asked to give the speeches <laughs> in the youth group they've been given. And they, they can hold a crowd, but what they're bringing is just what they read in the Bible that morning with not a lot of welly. And then there's those quieter ones. Look out for the quiet ones. The ones who love the word of God, who have never ever believed that they could stand up in front of a group of people and communicate, but they've got something to say because they love the word of God. Now, that is two polar opposites, and actually the joy and the dream is that hopefully most of us can, can come to a place where we work on our delivery enough, and where we have fallen in love with the Bible enough that we can be both, that we can bring something of worth from his word in a way that engages people and even entertains them. Don't fear that, because you get them on side, you can bring all that truth that God has been growing in you. So I want to say it might be worth you identifying where do you think you are on that scale. And if you've just spent your whole life being told you're a communicator, you're a communicator, well, have you got anything of worth to bring? And if you're someone that you know you see those nuggets in the Bible, but the idea of standing up in front of a group of people just makes you want to be sick, get someone to walk with you, to encourage you, to stand with you, where you could say, I could never do this in front of 30, but I'd stand with you if you would just help me. Anyway... The world needs this. God's church needs this. Not enough of us love his word enough, reading it enough. We need to, if that's something we feel that God might be stirring in us, then don't shy away. Give it some work. Ask for some input. Think through where you might need to be putting in a bit more work. But now I just want to pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a gift your word is to us. And we want to love it more. Every single one of us here, we want to love it more. We don't want to get into guilt or condemnation about whether we're loving it enough. It's not that. We just want to love it more. Because in your word is life and light and truth and freedom. In, in your word we find you. And God, I think my primary prayer for today is just that each one of us would fall in love with your word just a bit more. And I want to pray, God, that there'd be no... Um, I don't want anyone to come away from this morning feeling daunted about some scholarly task to study and all that, but just to enjoy your word and to enjoy being Bible detectives. So that as we put ourselves through this process of preparing talks from your word, so that people would be strengthened, encouraged, equipped that they would have the eyes of their heart open, that they would fall in love with you more, that they would lay down their lives more, that they would follow you more. So I pray, God, that this morning would be a little bit like um, that seed bomb that someone gave my daughter last summer, mm -hmm. a little, little box of seeds. And it just looks like this, on the, you know, but, but it's like when it's planted, it just explodes. Wildflowers everywhere, life everywhere. And I want to pray that, that this little 